Hello and welcome to the Write for Life podcast, a show about creative writing, copywriting, reading and the ever-changing publishing industry. Bandwidth for January has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5 and they really are crackerjack. Check them out at cashfly.com, that's C-A-C-H-E, fly, and tell them that you heard all about them here on 5x5. I'm Ian Broom. And I'm Donna Sorensen. And um, you've already decided what the title of this show is going to be called. Yes, of course I have. As soon as I saw this uh, this article this week, I knew that it was the one. It was destined to be the title of our podcast episode. Um, it's basically, writing poetry is sexier than writing fiction. And it's a scientific fact that nobody can dispute ever again. Thank you very much. Now, this is an article that um, uh, someone has written, because that's how articles kind of happen. Um, I haven't read it, though. You you say you have some sort of test for me. And what better way the, than uh, than that to uh, start this week's episode? <laughs> We're just going to go straight into it, are we? Well, I've got nothing to add. <laughs> no, no, no pleasantries or how's your week? But fine. It's fine. Let's just bang straight on, get into it. Let's see whether you can come up with the top five sexiest creative pursuits that there are out there. That's what I'd like to know if you can guess what they are. Um, basically, this is an article which we'll put in our show notes, which will be at 5x5.tv slash WFYL slash 14 Ian? Four. Uh, four, yeah, yes. four. Yeah, good. Just thought I'd double check. Um, it's, uh, yes, it's on litragger.com. It's referring to a study done by the University of Pennsylvania. Oh my God, I can't even say that. The University of Pennsylvania, um, where they have looked into the sex appeal of forty-three creative behaviours. So I don't know whether pursuits is the right word because some of them you wouldn't say. Well, that's not a. I didn't really think of that as a creative pursuit, but basically creative behaviours, and they ranked them, and poetry came out much much higher up the list than. Um, Short stories that novels didn't even make it, actually, I don't think. Well, certainly not into the top 15. Um, and neither did blog posts, Ian. Podcasts? <laughs> no, actually. Oh, but they should try again next year and see whether people are taking more note. Um, can, can I take us off onto a smaller side? Hmm. Um, I, uh, just speaking of podcasts and um, sexiness, this is a slightly tenuous link. Um, I, I listen to uh, another podcast, um, as, I, as I tend to do, uh, yesterday, in fact. And um, I hope that I don't reveal my, my, uh, my source. And, uh, oh, your source. Okay, I'm glad you finished that uh, sentence. Yep. And, uh, and and upset anyone. Um, I don't think there may be some crossover in listenership. I don't know. But anyway, let's just say that the person who was on this the, um, apparently has been recognised as having, you know, they, they are, we, we, we claim to be, because it's true, semi-professional voiceover artists. Well, this person is a professional voiceover artist. It's kind of their thing. And their voice had been described to them apparently as being kind of quite sexy. Mm. And um, and and also, you know, kind of um, authoritative and and very, very kind of um, 
you know, like it, they were born to do it almost because, you know, they have, this, they have the voice. A bit like Tom Jones, the Welsh crooner. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I wasn't convinced. <gasps> you didn't find them sexy? I didn't find... I didn't find them sexy. I wasn't aroused in a sexual way. Um, and I wasn't aroused orally either with an A and a U. It just didn't... It, I, I just... It was very, uh, very much kind of... Uh, what's the what's the correct um, f- phrase? It's, is it RP? Is that oh, right? Well, they were very, 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 very British. V- very British, but also um, um, like they like they would be great at advertising toilet cleaner, Ooh. or or maybe um, I don't know, maybe a new brand of biscuits. <laughs> when you when you went through how they'd been described, my image in my mind was James L. Jones. He has a very authoritative voice. I'm not sure that I would call his voice sexy, but were they like James L. Jones? Just a received no. British pr- pronunciation version? Shall I do, shall I try and uh, try and do it? Yeah. It was this kind of, everyone has heard this kind of voice when, when you, you know, turn on any advert really. And you have people who talk a lot like this. They will start talking like this, quite slow and quite soft, but at the end of the sentence they will remind you that they're trying to sell you something. Hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah. So um, so are you going to contact the uh, the podcast then and suggest that, um, that we do some kind of um, voiceover off where we see who is the sexiest on the voiceovers? Yeah, you could do your Somerset accent. I totally could. That'd be amazing. And uh, I don't know. I guess I could go a bit more, bit more northern. We should say maybe actually our American listeners. When you say Somerset accent, if we were to actually give them an example of somebody who has that accent, because they might know somebody now who has that. Who, Do you who know who I'm Somerset- thinking that they might know? Who has a Somerset accent? Is this a famous person? Yeah. Who? I mean, it's not often that that you say that there's, you know, you can say that there's a person who is remotely famous. Who has a Somerset accent? Can uh, I can't. I can't now think of anyone. Ah, oh, Stephen would... Merchant. Oh yeah, I mean, but I, I don't know if you would call him famous to the point where everyone listening from the US would know who that is. I didn't. I said they might do. I didn't say everybody will know him. If they've watched um, Arrested Development, they might know who. No, it wasn't Arrested Development. It was Modern Family. He was in. I didn't know that. Um, and he's he's been in a film recently, a big film. Anyway. What a massive tangent that was about sexy it was, voiceovers. It was quite a big tangent, but it, I was just—I've uh, been thinking a lot about um, about um, uh, voices and uh, and d- doing voiceovers and and recording audio books and that type of thing. So you can see where I'm looping back round, yeah. and the importance of voices and whether, let's say, someone was to record uh, their book. I mean, this is this is hypothetical, <laughs> um, and you know who's the best person to use because it's so, it's so important when you're reading um, uh, or listening to an audiobook, I suppose, more than reading it is is what what is the most appropriate voice? Do you want someone who is going to talk in an extremely specific kind of way that reads sentences in a way that sounds like this? Yeah, but you certainly don't want some sexy minx doing it. I mean, nobody's going to concentrate, are they, on the story? So, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure. I've been I've been thinking about this a lot, and then I happened to listen to this particular podcast episode, and um, 
and it got me thinking because I've been thinking about you know I've been recording I have recorded I mean I do this but I also I've recorded myself performing my own work and I've I've had ideas for recording you know other short stories and just you know being a bit of a voiceover person mm -hmm. and um, I was listening to this guy thinking goodness I'm I'm <laughs> I need to rethink my plans yeah well. And I mean, there's a whole nother discussion about how you perceive yourself as well when you uh, and the way you sound and when you hear yourself recorded, it's it all changes anyway. Well, I think a lot of people are, are put off um, even performing live in front of an audience where you know that you're never going to get heard. I think people have a real fear of their own voice. Mm. I still listen back to us doing this and sometimes cringe and just think, oh, goodness me, is that really is that really what I sound like? But you know, after 140 odd episodes, you do kind of get used to it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I agree. But I've listened to all of them as well. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Now, am I going to test you on these sexy things or what? Okay, so I need to decide what are the sexiest eight creative pursuits. Well, let's just put it this way, because I mean, you know, it's going to be pretty hard for you <clears> to get the top five. But I have 15 of what the University of Pennsylvania has has found out. People think are the sexiest creative behaviours. And I wonder if you could just like pull out of the air some ideas for what you think people would think is a sexy okay. creative behaviour. Naked experimental dance. Right. That was off the scale. Anything involving nakedness is not on the list. This is just bog standard clothed pursuits or creative behaviours. Okay. Um... Playing the piano. Quite specific, that one, but I can give okay, you... Okay, mu music, a musician. Yes. Performing in a band was number six. And recording music, actually, was number three. I guess that means that people love a, a person sitting there with their guitar, um, singing away about love and all that kind of stuff by themselves. Okay, writing poetry, we know that's in Number the... ten, yeah. Um, hang on, you told me to think of the top eight. I said I had 15. I never mentioned eight at any any stage. My God, we'll be here all day. <laughs> no, um, you don't have to get them all. I'm just wondering if you could get any of them, basically. Uh, uh, painting. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Why? Painting in particular. I'll give you drawing pictures, <laughs> which just sounds <laughs> really weird. Oh, I love someone drawing pictures, me. Oh. Um, acting. Ooh. No. Um, okay, um, how about sculpting? Yes, ghost. That's on there. 13, making sculptures. Uh, wasn't that pottery in ghost? It's the same thing, isn't it? Getting your hands oh. wet and slippery on clay? I think if you were to speak to uh, Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore about that, they might disagree. Oh, you can't speak to Patrick Swayze. <laughs> Anyway, let's carry on. That's that's the we that's the that's the weirdest way I've ever been made to feel guilty. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, you can give me give me two more ideas, and I'll see whether you you can get them. Oh. Um, two more ideas. Um, how about um, how about um, fully clothed? You yep, said. Yep. How about singing? Nope. Okay, just because I really want to 
get this finished. How about... No, don't say that. Don't be horrible. <laughs> How about um, life drawing? No. You see, the reason I wanted to test you, and I'm, I don't know whether listeners have been having ideas of their own about what could be the, the top cre- sexy we, creative behaviours. We don't have any listeners anymore. <laughs> um, number 15. Styling your hair in an interesting way. That's it, right. We, if I needed a different definition of creative pursuit. Well, no, I mean, I, this is important that I got your sense of a creative pursuit. And, and I can see that we're not with the masses on this one. I'll give you another one from this list. Taking a date on a spontaneous road trip. Oh, this is ridiculous. This is the worst feature in the history of Right For Your Life podcast. <laughs> Playing sports was number one. And I was thinking, hang on a second. Creative behaviour? But I guess maybe if we're talking um, doing figure skating or um, what's that called? Rhythmic gymnastics where you flap ribbons around. Synchronised swimming. Number five, music. Number 19 on the list was writing plays. I nearly said writing plays. Yeah, but that's number 19. That didn't even make it very high up either. Number 23 was writing magazine articles. Um, Inventing new recipes also made a feature on the list. Um, Making a clever remark is apparently (laughs) a creative behaviour. My... uh... Uh, my experience with that is it tends to irritate people. <laughs> yes. Um, and the last one I'll, I'll leave you all with um, is taking artistic photographs. What about normal photographs, like rubbish ones? <laughs> so it's the least sexy thing in the world. So there you have it, people. That is the absolute undeniable scientific truth about why writing poetry is sexier than writing fiction because of that random list that psychologists at the University of Pennsylvania have uh, found their way to. Brilliant. We have a problem here, though, in, um, in, in terms of writing. What? Um, and in terms of writing for the web. Yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, this podcast is, apart from about all the, all the things that we've already talked about in, in depth and help people with, um, this podcast, of course, is about copywriting and, and occasionally we'll talk about writing for the web and that kind of thing. Mm. Now, you said that you thought the title of the show... Mm. Should be writing poetry is sexier than writing fiction, mm. but I, you know, I do make the occasional note of some of the things we've said in terms of titles, and um, I said the words uh, "naked experimental dance," and I think that we might go through the roof with Google hits with that. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, maybe we will. Well, I'm just saying SEO. <laughs> you don't think poetry and sexy? And fiction are going to be more searched than naked... Oh, no, not naked. Absolutely. Experimental dance. Experimental, naked, will do do really well with that. With dance thrown in as well, I think we're going to get a specific market. I just just think we should then use writing poetry is sexier than writing fiction and then just put naked in there somewhere and we'll be all right. Okay. Did we ever talk about um, uh, um, SEO for book titles? I can't remember whether we got to that. No, no, we didn't. There was once I put a note down in our in our own notes that um, that I was th- I was wondering whether any writers of fiction had ever you know decided to use keywords as a basis for their novel, what their novel was going to be about. And then I think we found out that people had. So we kind of didn't even discuss it because we answered our own question. Well, I I have a uh, I'm not I'm I, I am in one of these books. 
Are you? If you, if you remember, I'm in the acknowledgements of a book by um, a, a writer from Sheffield called uh, Jude Calvert Tullman, and she uh, she used to come and perform at Words Aloud, which was the spoken word night I ran. That's and, right. Um, this is the book that. Yes. Yes. Carry on. And um, and in the in the back of this book that she wrote. Um, um, she thanked uh, me and a couple of other people who organised the spoken word night, and and you know various other people too. And uh, and she she had a blog, and she still has a blog. Um, and she noticed that a lot of uh, or enough, anyway, um, I don't know how many, but there were enough people getting to her website from searching the words mother-in-law, son-in-law, and. Um, she ended up writing um, a sexy book, some erotic fiction, which I think sold relatively well. This is a very sexy podcast this week, isn't it? We, I'm hot under the collar. <laughs> Me too, but I do have uh, a lot of layers on. It's quite, it's quite cold in Copenhagen, but um, but yeah, yeah. So there you go. You were featured in a sexy novel. I am featured in a sexy novel, specifically the acknowledgements, but um, but That's still, right. I'm in there. Yep, you're in there. Brilliant. I'll put links to it in the links to it in the show notes. <laughs> what other really interesting and useful for people uh, things do we have to talk about this week? Well, I'll tell you what's especially useful for people, and that's Lynda.com, which is our first and only sponsor this week. Um, and I'm very happy to tell you all about them. I think it's about time you kickstarted your new year. I know we're a few days in now, but uh, well, a couple of weeks in. But uh, you should challenge yourself to learn something new with a free 10-day trial to lynda.com. lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world and has over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design and business, as well as software training like Excel, WordPress and Photoshop. All of their courses are taught by experts and new courses are added to the site every single week. Whether you want to set new financial goals, find work-life balance, invest in a new hobby, ask your boss for a raise, find a new job, or improve upon your current job skills in 2015, lynda.com has something for everyone. So what you need to do is sign up for your free 10-day trial today by visiting lynda.com, that's L-Y-N-D-A dot com, slash W-F-Y-L, and you will get unlimited access to every single course on lynda.com, access to view the tutorials on tablets and iPhone, plus Android, mobile devices, and access to new courses, which are added every week, as I have said. And some of the courses that you may be interested in uh, and the kind of videos that um, kind of suit our listenership, I hope, um, are Getting Things Done, which is by um, uh, the old David Allen. He's in there uh, on lynda.com. They bagged him to do the actual courses. Business Writing Fundamentals, Grammar Fundamentals, Breaking Out of a Rut, and um, and I will tell you, as I did the last time we had lynda.com as our sponsor, uh, that um, if you've ever thought about setting up your own platform, like author platform, or you're in the middle of doing so, or even if you've already got one, um, then uh, you can learn lots of new relevant skills, uh, things like recording audio if you want to try and do your own uh, kind of either audio book or even just some uh, extracts from your work 
or a podcast like this. Or there is things like uh, you can learn Final Cut Pro or uh, Premiere Pro. Any kind of sort of video making software is on there as well. On there as well, if you want to become the next YouTube sensation in the writing world or just any old world, really. Um, there's loads on there basically, and uh, and you can pretty much go and find something you want straight away. It's fantastic. Um, so your free 10-day trial to lynda.com. Remember, you need to go to lynda.com slash WFYL. And, um, and that's pretty much it. I, uh, I challenge you. I challenge you to learn something new in 2015. Do it. Big thank you to Linda. It's sexy to learn new things, isn't it, as well? See, that, is, that would have been... Did, was that in the top 15? <laughs> what, using lynda.com? Well, not using Linda. I mean, it should be, of course, but um, um, learning, learning something new. Yeah. Well, I, I do like a bit of drive and motivation in somebody. I think that's great. We still, I don't know whether we're going to get time, but we haven't talked about the fact that I'm learning Danish. <laughs> why, why are you laughing? I'm not laughing, but can you tell you everybody are... why you're learning Danish? I'm learning Danish because I've always wanted to learn a language, but I've never had much of a reason to learn any specific language. And now that you've been with uh, your husband for, you know, over a decade, <laughs> I thought it was. <laughs> I thought that, that was going to be fairly solid. You've never been able to say a word to each other in all those 10 <laughs> years. <laughs> well, this is the problem. That if I do learn Danish, then uh, you will both continue to speak English at me and I, it'll be utterly useless. No, 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 no. I have learned the hard way that you, you know, it's no good people speaking back at you in English. You need them to torture you with the other language. Otherwise, you won't be forced to speak it. Don't worry, I can speak Danish to you in the future. Yeah, I mean, if anybody wants to uh, know how I'm doing this, it's with the um, iPhone app, which is also, I think, an Android app, and you can just use the website. It's free. It's Duolingo. They're not a sponsor, but if you're interested in learning a language, then the app is fantastic, and it's all kind of gamified, so you get points and you get a little love hearts that you lose like a game, you know, if you, if you go wrong. <laughs> And um, there are pictures and it can, it, you know, you can talk into your phone and it knows what you said and can tell you whether you've got the pronunciation uh, right or not. It's great. Um, it's Didn't fantastic say. that you're learning it. And um, you could potentially be the third person in my family to learn it because my sister is randomly learning ancient Norse and now can read Danish, which, well, she's, I mean, it's just astonishing. So it'd be great. We can have our own little, um, little, little group speaking together. Indeed. Anyway, this is of no interest to anyone. So, um, learning another language? Oh dear. Honestly, of course it is. Well, me learning another language isn't. (laughs) Shall we entertain everybody instead with a little chat about the author all sorts article about what not to say to authors? Brackets. What to say instead? Yes. So I found this today. It's on. Yeah, like you say, it's uh, on a website called Author All Sorts. Um, and it's written by, I'm sorry, I've got a bit of windy pops again. It's uh, written by Holly Bourne, and she is an author, and it's. I, felt, I thought it was quite funny, but a lot of it rang true to me. So I thought that we would, she has, um, uh, I think it's like five or six myths, so things that people say to authors. Now, I don't get a lot of um, comments at all from other authors. I don't get people saying anything that annoys me but I do get people asking the same questions in real life when they find out that you know I am a, I happen to have written a, a book and, and and got it published I don't think the having it published thing matters so don't worry about that I, I think that everyone can relate to this all writers should probably will probably have heard at least one of those things one of these things so I thought that if I would I would if we went through them 
And uh, if if someone has said this to you, then uh, say so and uh, tell me how it made you feel and what you think, uh, what you'd have rather that what you would have rather they had said. Ready? Ready. Number one. Um, the myth is that authors are all filthy rich. Dot dot dot. Like J.K. Rowling. What not to say? Wow, you're an author. So where's your castle then, J.K. Rowling? Anyone ever said something along those lines to you? Uh, no, and that's that's quite an interesting one to start with. I know I know that it was the first one on the on the blog piece, but uh, it's funny because most people I know think that authors are all really poor. They have been, you know, struggling their whole lives. Or if you are really lucky, every so often you'll make it like J.K. Rowling. But what does annoy me is that my other half, as well as often said it to me, um, people say well why don't you just write like something like harry potter like jk rowling <laughs> that's really <laughs> annoying why don't you just do the new a new harry potter yes yeah i get that. yeah i get that <laughs> or or um or on along along those lines um just assume that that's kind of what you are writing so they say oh oh what what's it about and you say um you tell them uh in my case you know it's uh uh, you know, it's about a, a woman who's had two strokes and is being cared for by a husband who doesn't tell anyone about it. And you, I say that to them, and you know, all the uh, all thought of wizards goes out the door quite quickly. <laughs> yeah. So I, I can kind of see where she's coming from with this one, but um, I don't know that anyone I know is under the illusion that most writers earn a lot of money. But they certainly think that it's possible to be the next J.K. Rowling. Yes. Yeah, it's it's true, and 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 I think that's why in the kind of in the world of writing advice, people still really try and remind other authors that uh, that uh, the likelihood of you even making a living out of writing really um, is is uh, slim. I'm afraid, and it's not just to. I think people say that. I mean, we talk about this all the time, um, but it's not just to kind of be unkind or to put people off i just think it's important that you know that the chances of you being the, the next jk rowling are you know we're looking at kind of lottery type odds hmm, yeah and um i'd say in some genres it's even it's even more difficult like i mean at the moment if if you are going to write anything and, and uh and bring in the old money bags then it's going to be you know young adult stuff don't you think um I'm not an expert, but young adult does seem to be um, very popular, just like erotic fiction was a couple of years ago when Fifty Shades. Um, I don't know. I think, the thing is, I think that's what so I read a, an article today in the Danish news about it. This, um, and actually, they named some a next big name. I'll have to go back and find out who that is. But um, I was thinking that you know, picture books, children's picture books. I mean, they are notoriously. Um, difficult to make money on but if you take someone like julia donaldson she's a very famous children's author in the uk uh who does picture books you maybe might know her um she's had a very famous partnership with the illustrator axel Schiffer and wrote the gruffalo amongst other books but she is somebody who has really made it and is a jk rowling of the picture book world and um and yeah, so I think it's another, it's another thing. If you write picture books, then you end up getting compared to Julia Donaldson. I'll just write the next Gruffalo. Um, yeah. 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 But it can happen. It can. And that's the other side of the story. That's why it's not a case of, well, you're not likely to make an awful lot of money, so don't do it. It's kind of, but, you know, if that's what you're interested in, 
then it does happen and it can happen and there are lots of authors who you know do earn at least uh, a fair part of their living from writing anyway we've dwelled on myth one for far too long myth two is that authors have more time than you so what not to say you've written a book i've got a really good idea for a book if only i had the time to write it Sounds a bit like us, doesn't it? That's something we say to each other. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, dear. Um, I'm just desperately trying to trace back in my mind now which film or TV show it is where somebody said they really wanted to write a novel but that they didn't have enough time and then they get bought a typewriter by the other half and are kind of forced to write it. I'm going to think about that in the background of my mind while I say, yes, that is very annoying. Yeah, and it's... I, I, I don't often get people say, if only I had the time to write it, but I do often get people say um, that they've got an idea for a book and, and um, you know, the, the whole concept of everyone's got a book in them. Um, yeah, I don't really have a strong opinion either way about that, but I think it's probably not true. Um, I love, but, I absolutely love the, the simile that she used here in this. I'm going to read it out now. Um, I don't think it's going to ring true with you, Ian, but it will ring true with me because of an incident I had when I was 18. Um, Writers make time to write because the story is burning so deep in them. It's like some kind of literary cystitis and the only antibiotic is getting the story out. (laughs) I thought that was amazing. Yeah, I um, I, I, I think that there is some truth to that. I do think if you... If if you really wanted to, if you really want to do something, you will do it, and that goes for anything, not just writing, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, myth number three: that writers have control over a book's film rights. Yeah, I'm so hopeless about what I have rights to. I mean, I yeah, I have absolutely no idea. I know what I've got rights to, and it's quite common that uh, uh, an author would sell. Um, or kind of give, I suppose, the rights to pretty much everything when they sign with a, a traditional publisher, um, and and therefore you have you know absolutely no control whatsoever over what happens to it. You can ask questions, but you don't really have any control. Um, and I don't really get, I don't really get people asking me uh, or saying to me, oh, you know what you should do? You should sell the film rights. But I do get people talk about you know a film version quite often. And this, and say things like, "Oh, why don't you just make it? Uh, why don't you just make it a film? Or, or um, uh, is it? No, is it going to be a film? That's quite, quite. No, it's not common, but it has been said to me on like three or four occasions, and um, and it's really hard to respond to. You know, well, I suppose no is the answer, <laughs> but um, you know, unless something very unexpected happens, but it is quite common that people people do say that. Yeah. Can I just go back and I've worked out who it is. I said that there was some TV or, or film where they get bought a typewriter and then it's like, it's awful. They feel pressure to write it because they never really wanted to. They just wanted to say throughout their life that they had this idea for a story and they thought they could be a writer. And it's very bizarre because it's Modern Family again and it's the second reference in this in this episode. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Next one. This is the one. This is the, This is absolutely the one this is if you if you're if you if you haven't got your book published then the equivalent of this would be someone saying to you 
when have you fi- when are you going to finish the book mm. or is the is the book finished i mean i get that as well but um that's fine but if you if you're if you've told people that you're writing a book and you haven't got a publishing deal then you will constantly get people saying how's the book going and they will say it to you or have you finished and they will say it to you in a way which is kind of um can't quite think of the right word, but almost, almost kind of all-knowing, with a, with a kind of a glint in their eye, as if to say, "Have you finished that book yet?" In brackets, that book that I don't think that you stand a chance in hell of getting published because who, who's, you know, who's going to get their book published? You're not going to get your book published. But have you finished? Have you finished writing your pretty little book? It's that kind of sarcastic your vanity or, project. Exactly, it's patronising. I suppose is the right word. Um, when you have a book published, those people kind of. Are shocked and they say things like, oh wow that's amazing <laughs> first thing first thing they ask you is myth four and they say oh so how many have you sold how's your book selling and you think could you not just be could you not just be happy for me for the mm. simple act of having got to the point in my life where i finished a book and then even managed to persuade someone to sell it and uh, and and put it on some shelves and they go no we want to know how many copies you've sold because that's the next most important thing yeah, I was so delighted to read this one um, because when people have asked me, I felt, oh, gosh, really know that. That's really terrible that I don't know. But it's true. I mean, we don't ha- have easy access to that information. And actually, it's pretty difficult to pin your publishers down to telling you at any point. Um, so um, so unless, you know, it's it's listed every week somewhere in a bestseller list, then it's, it's, <laughs> it's a mystery. Yes, and that is... Um that is one of the fundamental differences between uh, being published traditionally with a publisher and self-publishing. If you self-publish um, through Amazon, presumably, then um, then you have access to your sales data like at your fingertips whenever you want it. Um, um, if you are published traditionally with a publisher, in my case, and this is extremely common, and this is basically how it's done, um, I find out every six months, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to find out every six months, but it's yeah. it's never quite been on time. Yeah. It's always been at least a couple of months late. So basically, a couple of times every 18 months, I will get a bit of paper sent in the post that says, or by email that says, you know, a breakdown of books that have been sold. <laughs> and it's rubbish. I mean, that is that is rubbish. I mean, I'm, I'm not, that's not me complaining about my publisher because I know that's just how it works in the traditional well, publishing no, industry. Well, that's, that's, that's more than I get. <laughs> well, there we go. Um, so it's uh, and it's one of the things that you know it really is one of the primary reasons people choose self-publishing because the the idea that an author has no idea for several months how many copies their book has sold for people who are interested in publishing a lot and and quickly and you know the whole self-publishing thing for those people they would listen to me saying all that and go then why on earth are you doing it and I get it I, I totally get that point of view it's extremely hard to argue against someone who uh, is saying why don't you just have access immediately it seems like the sort of thing that an author deserves but it's not how it works mm, yep quite so it's annoying when you get asked about it <laughs> it's very annoying um, and I like the way she's, <laughs> that uh, she recommends instead what to say uh, I saw your book in a bookshop here look I took a photo for you <laughs> 
that's and that that has happened to me a couple of times yeah. and it is the most awesome thing yeah it's brilliant i love it too i mean it's not happened for a little while for me obviously but uh yeah it was amazing when that happened all sold out donna totes well someone told me they got the last one off amazon i don't know whether that's true you know amazon you can't trust them can you, you don't know what they're saying unless you self-publish and it's there at your fingertips yeah, indeed um last one then myth number five authors have unlimited copies of their book to give away and what not to say to an author where's my free signed copy then has mm. anyone asked you for a free signed copy of your book no one's asked me for a free signed copy but i've been asked for plenty of free copies ah. <laughs> well it's again it's it's the same people you remember those people i talked about the patronizing people oh those people they're the same people who they patronise you for several years while you're writing it. Then they act shocked when you actually get it published. And then they immediately ask you about how many you've sold instead of saying, congratulations, that's wonderful. Mm. And then they say, can I have one? oh, can I, <laughs> yeah, can I have a copy? <laughs> and, and you just think, no, no, you can't. Yeah. You can't have a copy of my book until you go and sit in a room on your own and write your own book. Hmm. That is hilarious because maybe it's the thing about poetry. I don't think anyone's asked me for a free copy. <laughs> They'll just be like, well, you know, I mean, I'm not going to get around to reading that anyway, so don't worry about it. Well, how, out of interest, how many copies of your own book have you got, which is what this myth is about? Um, do you know, right now, because I got some extra copies to give away to people that I thought would be good. They'd be good to have it. Um, in terms of promoting it myself. I think I've got three copies on my shelf. I think I've got ten copies in total. And what did you do with those seven? Oh, I gave, yeah, I gave those away to different people. Uh, I mean, I did do some of, you know, Mum and Dad, I love you. I love you so much, Mum and Dad. Here's my book. Mum was like, oh, I've already bought ten copies. <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> talk like that. Hi, Mum, I love you. Um, but I, I did try to get, to give a few away to people. I, you know, it's obviously very important to give them away to the right people. But um, but yeah, now I've got three copies. I think that's a good number to have up there. You've probably got millions, have you, on your shelf? No, not not at all. But just for again, for to make this actually useful information, when you uh, when you sign a, a contract, when you get taken on by a publisher, your agent negotiates for you if you have one. And, uh, and negotiates how many copies of the book that you have. And it sounds crazy, doesn't it, that you have to do that? Mm. Again, we're, we're in the kind of territory of uh, perhaps people hearing that and thinking that just sounds insane. It's your book. Surely you should have as many copies as you fancy. Um, but it isn't the case. And, uh, and so your agent will negotiate for you and you know, try and get you as many as you can. Um, I think I, I can't remember whether I had 12 or 15 copies. Um, I currently have... I have five copies. One of those copies is kind of my own copy, which I use for readings. It's like full of post-it notes. And then I have two copies of the large print edition, which is in libraries and stuff. Um, and uh, and that's it. So I've got rid of most of mine, but I, I gave some to like parents. And then, um, actually, no, I didn't. I told my parents they needed to buy their own. <laughs> hmm. Because, if, you know, if anyone's going to buy it, it should be them. Um, but I, so I, I use my copies, which is what, you know, people should do really to, I gave them to some reviewers, um, a couple of, uh, vloggers, cause I thought that they'd be good to review the book. Um, and I donated a couple of books. So someone was running a competition and I, they asked if I would be willing to give a book away and I decided that that was worth doing. But I don't have unlimited copies. So when people say, oh, can I have a copy? Again, my reaction is, 
No, you can't. You have to go and buy one because I get approximately half a penny out of that book sale and I need all I can get. Yes, quite. Well, there you go. That's yeah. it. That was. Uh, I hope we- were there any other ones that you thought should have been added to the list that weren't there? Things not to say to authors? Um... I think they were good ones, to be honest. I haven't thought of uh, I haven't thought of any others, but I, I guess it's what I said. It's the alternative to how many has it sold. It's um, have you finished your book yet? Which is what I've had basically for the last thirteen years permanently. Oh, well, have you finished your book yet? No, no, not yet. Mm-hmm. How's it going? Oh, it's, it's going fine. Do you want to know specifics, or are you making small talk? Because if it's the latter, I'm not interested. Mm. Yeah. Um, I hope we're not painting a horrible picture of what it's like to be a, a writer. <laughs> No, most of the time it's amazing with, you know, people just full of praise and desperate to buy a book and it's all just wonderfully glamorous. No, the truth is um, we are being a little bit tongue-in-cheek, or certainly I am, because, you know, when people ask about your writing in any capacity, it's always, mostly, it's mostly a very good thing and, uh, and, you know, you're happy to talk about it. Absolutely. I think it's time for a listener's question and I'm going to let you read it this week. That was quite a breathy performance that time. Sorry, I am six and a half months pregnant. True. Everything's breathy. Just getting up out of the chair. You should hear it. Go on, you read the listener's question. This is a listener's question. And it's from a listener. And the listener's name is this. (laughs) The Twitter handle, in fact, it may not be their name, but their Twitter handle certainly is at underscore Sieszkowski. Which is spelt S I E J K O W S K I. And I think that is pretty much an exact pronunciation. And um, Zyszkowski asks Do writers practice by repeating small writing exercises like katas or dojos in martial arts and programming? Hashtag WFYL. Don't forget to use that hashtag, everybody. So. I know what a dojo is in martial arts because I've watched The Karate Kid. <laughs> karate? Karate. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what a katas is. What's a katas? I don't know. Keep talking and I shall investigate. Uh, K-A-T-A-S. Well, um, are you, you say keep... Oh, you're going to... Oh, right, it's, okay. It's, oh. You say keep talking, you mean carry on with the question, not, talk, <laughs> not, 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 car- not carry on talking about everyone. katas. Um, I think it's something to do with dance. A detailed pattern of movements from Japan, practised either solo or in pairs. So what's the programming got to do with it? Like katas or dojos in martial arts and programming? No, I thought maybe there were some uh, exercises that people practised over and over again in programming. Could be, could be. Anyway. Anyway, I think no is the answer to that. I think the last time I was forced to do writing exercises was at school, and I think that's put me off for life with trying to do any kind of... um, repetitive exercise to get me in a frame of mind i think that 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 would be at odds with me releasing my inner i'm gonna say writing dragon i don't know why i just had the urge to say that what's your inner writing dragon called um boris and he is blue but anyway that is that's basically why I, i don't do it because it reminds me too much of doing handwriting practice at school you know we had to write the same thing over and over again but uh, maybe other people um, find it interesting to do the same writing exercise um, repetitively in order to get them ready. I guess like meditation. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think you are 80% definitely wrong. Because um, 
uh, says Shikowski asks, do writers practice by repeating small writing exercises? And have you heard of the morning papers? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the same thing, isn't it? That's a that's a real small writing exercise that people do every morning. The idea behind morning papers is you get up and uh, you spend 10, 15 minutes and you just write. You just splurge whatever you whatever you can, whatever comes out of your bonce onto the page. And then once you finish, you go, right, that's it. I'm ready for the day. And it doesn't matter what that is. It doesn't matter what you've written. Um, it just, you've kind of got that initial writing sort of slime out of your system. <laughs> and, uh, and and that's it. And people swear by it. They say it's an amazing thing. Okay. So you think I'm 80% wrong in saying that I don't do repetitive writing <laughs> exercises? I That's all thought, I said. No, I thought you said you said the, the the writers don't. I thought that you started that little little bit by saying that by saying all of us. If, if you if you were I just talking about, I can't respond for what other writers do, can I? That's what That's our what, listeners need to do on the WFYL hashtag on Twitter or by okay, contacting not, us in other ways. I, I apologise in person now, and I will send a letter to you in uh, separately to apologise for that. Thank uh, you. Miss, misspeak um so there's the morning papers but also i i've talked recently on here about uh me doing index card shorts uh, which i am doing and i haven't published any yet um because they are a bit rubbish but it's the idea of doing something every day and of course our old friend who isn't a friend doesn't know we exist austin cleon he um, advocates um something small every day could be writing could be anything but he uh, keeps a journal which is something i'm trying to do this year and he also does the uh, the blackout poetry which we talked about um so people do i think writers do practice repeating small writing exercises every day and speaking personally i think it's something that i really 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 need to get into the habit of doing more i need to i need more of that doing something every day we've talked about this so many times and i've tried and failed so many times to get into the habit of writing every day but in my head i always think or oh, that i need to write something towards the novel you know something big i need to write something important every day otherwise why bother but actually there is value in just doing some kind of small exercise every single day might only take a minute or two and actually going back to the danish the way duolingo works is it sends you a reminder saying hey do you want to come and do do you want to come and do some more danish learning and and i go you know i instinctively instinctively kind of go well i do i do but i'm busy but you can set targets in it and it says you know you can set yourself like a low target like just do one lesson a day which takes about five minutes so that's what i'm doing and i've been doing every day because i know that it takes five minutes and at the end i get a nice little bit of music that plays and i get a little kind of a thumbs up monster type thing well i've just come up with a great idea for an iphone app but i'd like to ask you a question then you keep saying and you have said many times before that you feel like you need to do something small like this you know, that you can break down into chunks. If you say you just want to do a really small writing exercise for five minutes, you know, on anything, why not just do a really small bit of writing on your novel, like that you might not even keep, but it is in some way related to it? I know, and I think that's a very good point, but I think that I need to be doing that as well, frankly. As well? But, I mean, just do that. Why would you need to do anything else? Why would you need to get... I mean, that is the same... It's the same thing, but it's just actually all counting towards getting your brain back into the novel that you're writing. Possibly. I mean, my, my brain is in the in the novel at the moment, but it's... Um, yeah, maybe you're right. Hmm. Well, interesting question. Thank you very much, Christoph, because that's his first name. 
Cardiff. If only I'd have known that, I would have saved myself all the embarrassment <laughs> of, get, of getting his name exactly right. Yeah, indeed. Wow, I think we've come to the end of this week's show. Yeah, and you've still not read that poem. No, but um, but I will. I will, honestly. I mean, nobody's clamouring for it, so it's fine. It's fine. I can read some poetry at some point. Well, we'll look forward to it. Great. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Flying Poet, and uh, you can find me on Twitter too at Ian Broom, I A I N B O W M E, and um, and uh, you can find my website ianbroom.com and my Tumblr, which I'm trying to get back into. Which uh, what's the where's that? That's a broomstick.com. Hilarious. Great. That's it. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.